sing the bridge again? And all the earth will share in Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing.
that your spirit would fall on us tonight. Lord, we'll wait for you. Lord, move by the power of your spirit. Your people need to be freed. They need healing. They need refreshing. Would you visit us? Would you concentrate your presence here? We believe that you'll do it. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Hey, y'all, can I just talk to y'all for a couple minutes? I'm going to set a timer. Hallelujah. It's the wrong thing. Really what I want to talk to you guys about tonight, I've been wrestling with for months. I've been wrestling with what it means when we say that God is good for literal months and months. We're about to talk about the story of Ruth. And before we even get into that, I just want to say that the story of Ruth is the story of two women whose lives completely fell apart. And we can see the end of the story that Ruth meets Boaz and they have a baby and that's just like celebration time, happy ending. But there are those of us in this room right now whose lives are in pieces. Things don't look like the way we thought that they were going to look. And it's hard to say that God is good. I always be saying the sad messages. This is good though. This is not only sad. I would love for us to have right thinking about God. I would love for us to, because my, my, I've had to adjust to my own thinking about who I am in relation to God. I've had to adjust my own thinking about what I understand God's goodness and God's greatness to be. And I know that what I've done is that I've made God's goodness the enemy of God's greatness. Or what I've understood God's goodness to be. So, we're going to jump in. Uh, We're talking about Ruth because it's one of two uh, books in the Bible that have a woman as the main character. And I think ladies are great. Ladies, don't you think you guys are great? And it's a story about a woman who's courageous, who is bold, who advocates for others, who is, who literally is so persistent that she, whatever she needs to have happen, it happens. But she's also loving, incredibly loving. The amount of love that she has for Naomi, another character in the story, is unbelievable. And when I was reading through the book of Ruth and also with this companion book that we actually got the sermon series title, um, The Gospel of Ruth by Carolyn Custis James, Like those characteristics, courage, boldness, persistence, I don't know that we often think about those as feminine qualities. I think we think like, oh yeah, men like naturally have those things. But like, no ladies, like we actually, when when we're being courageous, when we're advocating for others, when we're being persistent, we're literally reflecting God the creator. God has made us that way to reflect him. We're created in his image just like the brothers were. So that's why we're talking about Ruth. Ruth covers a bunch of different things from barrenness, not being able to have children, to loss, to displacement, 
to famine. That's literally just in the first five verses. We're going to talk. We're actually going to get into that a little bit today. And I think it's important for us as a church to dig deep into this book, to have to dig into scripture that comes from a woman's perspective, and also to dig into some stories where, listen, the road got tough for a really, 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 really long time, and the women remained faithful the entire time. Amen. Okay. Let's, um, let's pull up Ruth. Y'all, y'all like that image? Doug came up with that. Isn't that nice? I thought it was provocative. Evocative. Evocative. (laughs) That's dumb. Sorry. Ruth chapter one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Before I go further, I do want to say that the book of Ruth is about God's goodness persisting throughout the entire storyline of the Bible. I want to make that clear. And so don't get nervous about anything I'm going to say yes, uh, say next. It is about God's goodness, but we'll talk more about that in a second. So when we look at these verses in Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, it starts with famine. And it's easy to glaze over that because we're like, yeah, famine in the Bible, that happened all the time. Totally, people were hungry. But it's like actually what we see um, from developing nations like on National Geographic or whatever right now. People did not have enough food to eat. People's mothers could not feed their kids. Fathers were wondering, how am I going to get enough grain, wheat, barley, whey to feed my family? It was impossible. So it starts with famine, literally awful, awful famine. It It was in the time of the judges, and that was when Israel had no king. But let me tell you, Israel was living fast and loose. It was like the wild, wild west out there. They did what they wanted to do, and it was weird. So... They move, can you go back to the previous slide, Shaquem? So the first thing we see is that there was a famine in the land. And the land is Bethlehem, right? And the name Bethlehem means house of bread. But what's interesting about this is that the house of bread was empty. Literally, like that's the name of the city. The house of bread had no more food. So they had to jump up and go someplace else. They went to the land of Moab. So not only do we have famine, we also have displacement. They left everyone and everything that they knew because they were hungry. They did not have enough to eat. It wasn't just food scarcity. There was food nunity. Like they had to go someplace else. And that was like a joke, but for real, some people are really dealing with food nunity here in the house today. And listen, this is an example of people who actually went through it. So we have famine and then we have displacement. So they go to Moab and they're like, okay, we're going to make ourselves a life here. This is going to be fine. They got the two kids, Malon and Kilion. And then the next thing we have, number three is loss. Naomi, her husband died. So the story starts with 
Elimelech, right? Like every other Bible story, not every other Bible story, but most of the Bible stories, it starts with a man, but then it shifts really quickly to being a story about women. And the thing that's key about understanding uh, Naomi's plight is that widows at that time had zero rights. There was no way for them to make money. There was no way for them to have a living. She was, she's, she had to leave her country because she had to leave her hometown because of famine. She's in a new place. Not only is she in a new place, she got to raise these two. She got these two kids and her husband is dead, but at least she has the two boys. So she's like, okay, all right, this might be okay. The boys grow up. They marry Ruth and Orpa. Side note, did y'all know that Oprah's mama was trying to name her Orpa, but y'all knew that? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Everybody's like, yes. So after they had lived there about 10 years, so Orpa, Malon, Kilion, Ruth, they were married. They weren't all four married, but they were each the two separate couples. They were married for 10 years. And th- those, both of those unions produced no children. That's huge. It's major because Naomi's thinking, okay, I have my sons. They'll take care of me. They like their, their line, their dynasty. They'll take care of me for as long as I live. When we eventually go back to Bethlehem, there'll be somebody here, somebody to claim my husband's land. Uh, the inheritance will go to them. But what ends up happening is that Malon and Kilion, Malon and Kilion die as well. So it's like all hope is lost what is happening here like we're i mean it's just her her whole world is upside down literally i read somewhere that it was better for a a widowed a woman to be dead than to be widowed in that culture because they were left open to any elements human and natural there was no one to care for them and this is in the first five verses of this book and I wonder, I know that there's some people in this room that are resonating with one or three, one of those three situations, loss, not having enough of whatever to sustain you and displacement, being completely out of your element, having, being forced to go to another place because there isn't enough where you are. You aren't able to stay where you are. So even though these first five verses are really like, man, this is bad, This story, like I said, is about God's goodness persisting. There's a theme throughout uh, Ruth, and it's called Hesed. It goes throughout the entire book, and it's called... There's no English... translation for it but exact english translation for it but uh translation for it could be loyal love or loyal kindness just like persistent i'm just gonna love you i'm gonna give up everything for you for you for you that's something that's consistent throughout the text and we see that god has said god's faithfulness his loving kindness is all throughout the book but in the first five verses it doesn't feel like God is being loyally loving at all. It actually feels like he's forsaken Naomi. It feels, I'm sure Naomi was crying out on, in her prayer closet. Like, God, what, what is happening? And so, and it really did affect Naomi because her name in the first place meant pleasant. And then at the end of this, of chapter one, she changes her name, uh, Tamara to bitter. She said, because the Lord has made my life very bitter. He's dealt with me very grievously. She's like, the almighty has done this to me. And I was, so I remember reading that line and thinking like, oh, Naomi is off. What you mean the almighty has done this to you? She is, she's caught up in her emotions. But then I started thinking about what if 
all of those things had to happen in order to in order for God's plan to be accomplished. And what happens when the goodness of God feels like brutality to us? What happens when the goodness of God feels like we've lost everything and everything is laying at our feet? How can we still say that's good? So I've been, I've literally, I've been thinking and praying about this for literal months. And so what God started showing me is the word good, the way we understand it and the way I understand it, because I'm in here with y'all, we use it totally subjectively, right? What's my next slide? Is it a sentence or is it a picture? Okay. All right. Put the picture up. These are pork chitterlings, right? Pork chitterlings are pig intestines. You chop them up real good. You clean them up real good. You sauce them. You can eat them. That's just like a thing. Anybody here think chitterlings are good? A few people think in here think chitterlings are good. I'm not necessarily surprised at who's raising their hands. Black people love this. My granddad, literally my granddad passed in October. He felt the need to cook chitlins every New Year's Day. And we would all be like, granddad, you don't have to do this. You know, you're getting up there. You don't have to. And he'd be like, I'm just going to do it for y'all children because y'all like this. No one liked it. <laughs> so some people in this room think that chitlins are good. Some people think these think that chitlins are nasty disgusting but what our definition of good is completely subjective to us and to our experience because listen as a little kid i might carolyn might have hated chitlins as a kid but as she's grown up and her palate has become more refined she's learned how to appreciate a good plate of pork chitlins sauced up with some hot sauce she's learned to appreciate or let's just say women when um this is i've never experienced this but this is what i hear that women have cravings when they're pregnant right and they want specific things that they would never want if they weren't pregnant like if you watch friends phoebe was pregnant with triplets right and she was craving meat but she was a vegetarian in her unpregnant life it's just like what we think is good when she ate the meat she was like oh this is excellent this is exactly what i needed but in her other like unpregnant she would have been like this is disgusting this is a bird i'm eating a bird this is weird but it's like what we consider to be good is subjective and the same thing like with couples things that are endearing to us at the beginning of the relationship things that we think are cute and we be giggling about can really wear us down 10 or 12 years down the road and we do the same thing with god right it's like y'all like that one y'all was like yep <laughs> absolutely i don't like your jokes anymore we do the same thing with God. It's just like, we say, this is like, well, this is a sentence that we say to ourselves. You can put it up, Shaquem. The next slide. It says, God is good to me, therefore I'll serve God with my life. And that, that sentence is not necessarily wrong for us to say. God is good to me, so I'm going to trust him. God is good to me, so I'm going to serve him. And I really want to, if this is, if this is where you are, this is not necessarily wrong, but this is kind of a message like, all right, Eastern Fellowship, let's grow up. Let's mature a little bit in the spirit. This is not wrong, but I think it's incomplete because when we're saying God is good to me, therefore I'll trust God with my life. We're putting our experience at the center and our experience on who God is at the center instead of the person of who God is at the center. 
It's based on what we like and what we don't like, what we've grown accustomed to and what we haven't grown accustomed to. And that's what, and it's become conditional. But as we grow and we mature and we recognize who God is, oh, that's my timer. We recognize who God is. We say the next sentence, God is good. Therefore, I'll trust him with my life. Do y'all see the difference y'all tracking with me? So the, the difference is that we impose our definitions of things on God. And that's really not how it's supposed to be. Because we have in our mind what good really means. We have in our mind what faithful really means. We have in our mind what just really means. What justice really means. But that's not how we need to approach God at all. What we, how we need to approach God is say, look, y'all look. Whatever God says, does, is, is good. That's what's good. And it doesn't matter what I feel about it. Whatever decision God makes is what's just. It doesn't matter what my, what my decision of justice is, what my feeling of this is fair or isn't fair is. It doesn't matter. God is the one who decides, who defines all of those things. And y'all, I think it's we've been struggling as a church, as a people of God, because we've lost the wonder of God. We're allowing ourselves to create God in our own image. And we're bowing down at the altar of the God that we've created. And we think we're approaching God, but we're really not. And God is saying, that's not me. That one that you think that you come, no, that's not me. You're bowing down at the altar of you. You want a God made in your own image. And God is like, enough. Time is up for that. It's time for you to approach me as I am, how I've revealed myself to be. Y'all tracking with me? I'm about to be finished. As we were singing the, the first song, uh, not the first song. The first song that they just sung. It was like, indescribable. You are amazing, God. Thank you. Um, I just was struck with like, when I was singing it, it didn't really mean anything. I was saying, you're amazing, God. But I, like, I was talking to Toya the other day. I call pizza amazing. I call like... When a little kid draws me a picture, I'm like, that's awesome. And I really feel like we've lost our awe and reverence for God. We don't approach God with fear and trembling. We love, I am a friend of God. I, but we've lost, like, I'm going to be still and know that he's God. I, re- I was reading uh, A.W. Tozer the other day. And he has a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. And what he says is the only response to coming before a holy, righteous, transcendent God is complete silence. But when we're confronted with that God, we can't help but to speak God's praises. Because like coming up against something so perfect and glorious, we have to erupt in praise. And that's like how it should be. We should be caught with, yo, I'm so in awe. I'm so amazed. I cast down my crowns. I turn away from my idols. And in the presence of this God, let me just be quiet and be still. Oh, but I can't be still. I've got to sing for joy. I've got to leap. I've got to shout because this God is amazing. He hung the sun, the moon, the stars. He spoke the world into being. He's the only wise God. That God is my God. He loves me. He knows me. He invites me in. So as we're looking at this book of Ruth and the band, y'all can go back up. As we're looking at the book of Ruth, I would love for us as a church to really start to consider God as he is and not how we want him to be. 
He's the God we need, but not always the God that we want. And whatever God decides is good is good. Whatever God decides is holy is holy. Whatever God speaks is right. Whatever God speaks is just. Whatever God does is excellent. Every decision God has ever made is completely sound, and we can't ever question that. God is all present. He's everywhere. He's everywhere I could ever be and everywhere I could never be. He knows everything I could ever know and everything I will never know. God, no one has ever taught God anything at any time. God has never learned of anyone. God is the source of all knowledge. Nobody has ever given God life. Nobody, nobody has ever assisted God in anything. God is self-sustaining. God is self-existent. God is the only being that can lay claim to that. So how dare we try to come before God as anything other than what God is? Scripture says that our God is a consuming fire, but yet he invites us in. He draws us close. He loves us, desires to knows us. The scripture says that our God is, it says, um, uh, oh Lord, um, the, the Lord's compassions fail not. They are renewed every morning. God's faithfulness are, is so great. His mercies are new every single morning. God's mercy knows no end. It's completely infinite. But God's justice also knows no end. God's holiness also knows no end. God's righteousness also knows no end. And I think that if we would do, we would do well to stop and consider the greatness of God before we get hung up on God, what's happening to me isn't good. What God decides is good. And when we, and when we get the right understanding of what goodness actually is, we can actually see the greatness of God. That God can use what's broke up, what's messed up in our lives and bring it towards the greater good for you and everyone around you. Because those five years, I mean, I'm sorry, those first five verses in the book of Ruth, those verses full of loss, heartache, heartbreak, disappointment. At the end of the book, Ruth gives birth to a baby uh, who grows up and has another baby and grows up and has another baby. And that baby is David. And we know who comes from the line of David. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when we think about the goodness of God, know that the goodness of God is orchestrating every single thing in our lives. The things we like and the things that we don't like for the good of us, for the good of all, for his divine plan, for his divine purpose. If we can all just close our eyes. Just relax your body, relax your shoulders if you're tense. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted among the earth. Let's just take 20, 30 seconds and be silent and be still before God. We say, come Holy Spirit.
Thank you, Aaron. That is a hard word. Um, as I was closing my eyes and thinking about moving from that God is good to me to God is good, um, my, my prayer tonight is that instead of me trying to transform God into what I want him to be, um, instead to come to this table and say, Lord, transform me into who you have called me to be. I want to reflect your goodness, your greatness. I want to be transformed into your likeness. I don't want to water you down into what I would have you to be. The scripture says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you and my Father's kingdom. Y'all, as we come to the table today in response to what we just heard, um, Maybe part of this response is needing to receive forgiveness. Maybe you were immediately convicted by, here are places where I have abandoned or like distilled the goodness and greatness of God. Or for others, maybe we need to be reminded of the end of that verse, the promises of the new kingdom that is coming. Maybe you're surrounded by, you're in those first five verses, it feels like, right? Like there's disappointment and hopelessness and loss and sorrow all around you and you're trying to figure out like where is the goodness of God no matter where you are there's hope at this table today I'm going to pray over these things Father God thank you that you are good thank you that you are great thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made in order for us to have access to you access to full the fullness of your goodness, the fullness of your greatness. God, would you transform these ordinary ingredients, this bread, God, this drink, transform it, God, into supernatural things, God, that only could come from you. Let deliverance come from this table. Let hope come from this table. Peace, healing, God, and as we ingest these things, let them transform us into your likeness. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask the communion service to come forward.
going to ask the prayer team to line up at the walls. Um, and there is a gluten-free option up here for folks as well. The table is open and ready.
maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, our God, that is who you are. Way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, our God, that is who you are. Again, sing Waymaker. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, our God, that is who you are. Oh, God. 
that is who you are. We have one more song that we're going to close out on. Uh, but let me, let me invite you to close your eyes as we hear this passage from Hebrews. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things. So that what cannot be shaken may remain. This is for us. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Thank you, Jesus. So, Lord Jesus, as we sing this last song, as as we walk out of this building, we ask, Lord, that if there are things in our life that need to be shaken by you, would you shake them? And would we trust that you are good? And when we do not trust you, would you help us trust you? Lord, would we worship you not just tonight with this song, not just for this uh, this evening as we leave the doors, but in all the places where we live, where we work, and where we play this week. Would we worship you with reverence and awe? And would you shake the things in our life that are not built on you, the foundation that is Jesus Christ? And we all say in his name, amen. Amen. Would you rise to your feet if you're not already for our closing song? Sing, what does it mean? What does it mean to be saved? Isn't it more than just a prayer to pray? More than just a way to heaven. Say, what does it mean to be his? What does it mean to be his? To be formed in his likeness. Know that we have a purpose. To be soft and light in the world, in the world. To be soft and light in the world. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so. Say so. Let the redeemed say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so. Say so. Sing over the church. Oh, that the church would arise. Oh, that we would see with Jesus' eyes. We could show the world heaven. And show what it means to be his. Show what it means to be his. To be formed in his likeness. Show them they have a purpose. To be soft and light. To be soft and light in the world, in the world. To be soft and light Sing to in the world. Let the redeemed of the Lord 
the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so. Say so. So we declare, say I. Lord, say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord 